Welcome to the Prime Podcast. Today we are very excited to have a close childhood friend of mine, Gennaro Alavella. He is a former art student for fashion design who's turned retail manager, turned back into art as a result of COVID. And this is kind of how we can use these different opportunities or these negative circumstances as opportunities to kind of live our best lives and do what we were put on this earth to do chase our dreams and find our prime let's get it yeah you ready (laughs) hey let's go Welcome back to the Prime Podcast, where we do and talk about lots of different things to help you find your prime. And today I got a special, special, special guest, dear to my heart, uh, long, what do we say, four years old, right? Been yeah. friends for forever, probably one of my longest running friends, uh, Gennaro Olivella, a f- fellow East Utican, and he's been living in New York City since long time. 2002. Now. 2002. So he's been in New York City for 19 years uh, after after high school. Well, well we're going to go through his past a little bit, and I'm going to pull some things out of him that he may not want to talk about, or he's been, it was very hesitant to come onto the podcast in general. Please, please do. Please pull things out of me. Yes. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, I'll sit here and just listen. Just listen. Just listen to me babble on about his life. So he has a very interesting story about a lot of different things, and we were just talking off air a little bit how COVID – and the pandemic and the shutdowns and different things because New York city was hit pretty hard versus us in upstate New York, how it was a catalyst for him to get back to his roots and get back to art, which is his meat and potatoes, his peanut butter and jelly, his main thing. So Gennaro, welcome to the podcast. And let's start with your first experience, life experiences after high school. Take me to Denmark. Oh, um, oh so you weren't ready for that one. Yeah, no, you? no. I thought we were, I thought we were jumping right into New York City. No, so not yet. We'll take it back even a, a, um, a little bit earlier than that. Senior year in high school is when um, I actually started preparing as to become an exchange student in Denmark. Um, I was really into the foreign languages. I took Italian. Um, they came in and started talking about this Rotary Exchange program. And uh, I discussed it with my mother and my stepfather and my father if it was something that they would support me in doing, and they were. Um, I didn't necessarily have a choice on which country I was going to. I had to fill out a list of, you know, numerous countries that I would like to, and they chose Denmark, and I agreed to it. And I uh, went to Denmark uh, shortly after I graduated from high school, and I, the way the program ran, I lived with three different families, all in the same school district, um, and they were all very different families in very different parts of the city that I lived in, which was called Svenborg, uh, which was on an island. And uh, one family was out in the country, one family was right in the middle of the city, and then uh, the other family I lived with, they lived on a farm on an island outside of the city, but it was all in the same school district. So um, I was very fortunate to meet a lot of wonderful people there. Um, I was able to have the opportunity to travel all around Europe and uh, not only meet 
Danish people, but other exchange students, other people from around the world, people that I keep in contact with today. How would you rate that experience overall? Um, I'd say 8.5. 8. That's pretty I, high. I won't give it a 10 because um, there's a lot of things that I wish I would have done differently. A lot of things that I, uh, I wish I had a more open mind about leaving Utica mm -hmm. uh, specifically. Um, I feel like I was very close-minded in high school, and when I got out there, I wasn't prepared for um, the way that these people live their life. Cultural differences. Very much so. The food, uh, just their attitudes, uh, you know, the way that they perceived Americans. Um, well, lifestyle, they're kind of like a, a socialist. Yes, very much so. Yeah. They very have very high taxes, but... They don't pay for school. They don't pay for health care. Their government gives them money in high school so that high school kids don't have to get a job. They're very much encouraged to uh, follow their dreams, however long it may take, um, and the government and, you know, to their community support them with that. So a lot of the people that I met out there have become very, very successful. And, um, and it's all just based on just being able to take your time, not worrying about getting out of school. Uh, a lot of people go and get their master's degree. Um, there's no you know, you get out of school and you have a boatload of student loans that you have to, to worry about. So, you know, if it takes you a little time to get a degree in, you know, to get a job in, in the direction that, you know, that, you, that your degree was in, um, that's fine. Like, it's not like, you know, you step out of school and all of a sudden you have a, a, a bill for student loans for eight nine $900 a month and, you know, your focus is on earning money, not following your dreams. Hear that, Tor? Tori hates college. She's like, oh, this is hitting me right where I love it. I love this. I know. Oh, well, I only got one year. But they look down on Americans. Um, I, yes and no. Um, I think they're, they're just very proud of the way that they live their lives. Um, and, you know, they do have a little bit of an arrogance about them. But, you know, they, 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 they're able to back it up most of the time. Yeah. And I think, I think that's an important thing. Even, like, making that decision, going there was a cultural shock in some ways. But also... You know, we talked about, Tori and I have talked about going to college and making these big decisions at such a young age and not necessarily being ready for that. Like if you went to Denmark and lived for a year right now, your experience would be completely. Yes, you're third, almost 40 years old, but, you know, just the, the experiences and your perspective on things has changed dramatically. So that experience for you would be dramatically different. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, the whole idea about becoming an exchange student, it was a three-year program. It's a year to prepare, a year, then you're out there, and then the cultural shock when you get back. And I think that, um, like, if I could do it differently, when I came back, I would have taken a year off before I would have jumped into college and really reassessed what I was, uh, you know, going to try to gear my future towards. I rushed it very much so, and I think that that was a disadvantage for, you know, the last 20 years of my life. Yeah, and that's what we're going to talk. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that because you just talked about their culture and how you don't feel rushed and you don't feel like you're going to get student loans. And then your decision when you came back was to go to one of the most expensive art schools in yes. the United States and yes. going to Pratt in Brooklyn. Uh, yes, because you had a chance to go to FIT, mm -hmm. right? For almost nothing. Not for practically nothing. Practically nothing compared. And Pratt, if you don't know, Pratt is is in the heart. Well, now it's kind of like a, a trendy place in Brooklyn, but at the time it was in considered Bed-Stuy, which is not considered Bed-Stuy anymore, probably. No. Uh, and it's a very well-known art school. There's actually a satellite uh, one here at Munson Williams. They still have that? Yeah. Yeah, there's a Pat And there's, Pratt. A, there's also a satellite in um, Manhattan also. Yeah. So Pratt's a very well-known and respected school, and Gennaro uh, chose to, to go there and study fashion design. So let's uh, sidebar... I was in a, a fashion show for Gennaro. Yeah. Yes, you were. Was it junior year? <laughs> or sophomore? I think it was like uh, 
sophomore year, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, you came. General had me wear a vet, just a vest. That's, that's all you, that's all you <laughs> needed to wear, man. That's all you needed to wear. When I go back and look at that stuff, I just, I'm almost embarrassed of. Yeah, so funny. I was that. wearing ju- just a vest and maybe some pants. I don't remember what the pants were, but I remember just wearing a vest and going and walking down a runway with all these strangers. Wasn't it, I didn't I have like a fur collar on it? had a fur collar and it was a vest <laughs> and no shirt underneath. You didn't need a shirt, man. <laughs> no no so, one wants to see you with a shirt on. This is true. This is true. I hear that a lot. So let's <laughs> take through Pratt. What is Pratt like? Um, you studied fashion design, right? Yeah, I studied fashion design. So, you know, like I was always kind of in high school, like into my look. And, you know, I always had a, an interest in, you know, clothing and watching fashion shows on E! And, you know, all, all those channels um, you know, that we started getting in you know the late 1990s and stuff like that. So I went out there uh, for a summer program to do fine arts when I was a junior. And it was in Soho. So if you don't know too much about New York City. Soho is the trendy area in New York City, and I was surrounded by this, uh, all this fashion and all these, you know, wealthy people, you know, wearing all these expensive clothes, and it was just something that, you know, interested me. You know, I, I, I was really into, like, the silhouette and, and the shape of people's bodies and, and, you know, how, you know, clothing draped, and I made a decision that I wanted to do that, so I passed up on going to FIT for uh, fine arts and illustration to go to Pratt, which um, Pratt is a lot more expensive than FIT. Um, but I feel like I, I got a pretty good education. Um, I made some really great friends. So I'm not going to turn around and say, oh, I regret the decisions that I made. Um, do I wish I would have done things differently? Of course. But at the same time, um, I'm very appreciative of the money that I paid to get the education that I received. For sure. For sure. And then shortly after Pratt, um, what was the, cause we, we, we just kind of, Tori and I think we're just talking about this, how Gary V, no, I, I forget who I was talking, I was, maybe it wasn't Tori, but how Gary V talks about Gary Vaynerchuk, if you guys aren't familiar on social media and different things, he's very like anti-college right now and saying how there's not a great return on your investment for a college education because many people don't end up going into the field that they study, but you did initially kind of. Right. When you go into school for fashion design, your, your initial thoughts is like, oh, I'm going to go design clothes and I'm going to do this silhouette thing and see how things drape. And then your first gig in fashion was what? Um, well, I mean, I had a bunch of internships and my internships all seemed very promising while I was in college, you know, and that led to a bunch of broken promises once I graduated. And I, you know, I think that's very common for a lot of people that they deal with, what, regardless of what you, you know, study. You know, when you get out of college, I'm, you know, you call me, you call me, you call me. And I had like 10 people, you call me, you call me. So when I called them, all of a sudden, you know, you didn't get calls back or they didn't have a position or there was no, it wasn't in the budget for them to create room for me. So, you know, I did the search um, and I found a job. It was through my career services center at um, Pratt. And I found a job in Long Island. I'm not going to mention the name of the company, but um, I was designing shoes. Uh, ethically, I did not like the way that they were running their company or the things that they made me do. Um, it made me feel like I was compromising who I was, my health, um, you know, how I carried myself. So that lasted about four months, and I went back to my part-time job working at Bloomingdale's on 59th Street, um, you know, running clothes out of fitting rooms until I figured it out. And that's when... Um, they promoted me and it started a chain reaction of me becoming a retail manager for the last 16 years. Yeah. And retail, if anyone's been in retail, any kind of service industry is always really difficult as we were just talking about, like the hours of time and all this time you're living in Brooklyn 
and commuting, you know, you think you're going to be a fashion designer in Manhattan or a fashion designer in these trendy places and you take a job in Long Island where you're, you're scrubbing mold off boots or something of yeah. that nature. I remember, I remember yeah. the story coming home at one point, like you were, you were repackaging like some sort of footwear where they were like taking mold off of something and then repackaging it and they yeah. were selling it. So there was a monsoon in China and all of these boots, high end boots, high end, <laughs> high end children's boots. Yeah. So we're talking, you know, $200 a pair for these children winter boots. Uh, they were on a dock during a monsoon in China they packaged up those boxes onto a truck, that truck, or onto a, a, a cargo ship. That cargo ship went to California. They sat in a dark warehouse for three months before they shipped to stores. They shipped to stores. When the stores opened them up, all the boots were moldy. So the stores sent these boots to um, the office. And my first job, after I'd been there for like three days, was to take a wire brush, scrub the mold off of all these boots, spray them with Lysol, repackage them and ship them out. Um, and that was the, the impetus for quitting. <laughs> yeah. 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 So when you said like ethically, like you didn't agree with things, that was, that was the ethical part. And like you said, you weren't necessarily like I'm getting paid here or I, I want to be designing something and I'm here scrubbing mold off of uh, a boots. That's yeah. something I feel like super unethical about doing. Yeah. They told me I had to pay my dues. So, you know, I'm sitting there paying my dues and then all the other kids that I graduated with, they're telling me how they're designing and, you know, they're learning and they're this and they're that and their unit, they're learning Photoshop and Illustrator and all these computer programs. And I'm, you know, kind of working, you know, working through some routine being told that I need to, you know, earn my way. And this is the way I earn it. But, you know, I'm a very proud person. So I was like, that's not going to happen. I put yeah. my foot down handed in, you know, handed them my keys and my badge. And I was like, I'm out of here. And that was, yeah. a, and that was the last time I designed. And, and some of those folks you were saying like how we're designing and doing things like they have lines now, right? Don't they? Yeah. Some of my friends have, you know, started up their own lines. Some of them work for, um, you know, companies that we've all heard of. Some of them make a ton of money working for companies that we've never heard of. Yeah. Like uh, companies that like make the lines for target and like yeah. stuff like that, like Sears, like they have the, those lines yep. that are like exclusive to those larger retail brands like some of the people that we, we know or you know much better than I do. I met them a couple of times, but they have like, they're some of the principal designers on those. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of friends who've become very successful in the fashion design industry, but um, I guess after doing that first job and then talking to a lot of my friends and, and what they were doing in fashion, I realized that that's not how I wanted to do it. And um, you know, the day that I quit that job, they told me we're never going to get anywhere if you quit. And I said, well, I don't care if I, it takes me 20 years someday, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it by myself and I'm going to do it with my own money. And yeah. that's kind of where I am now as I'm really starting to put all these pieces together now that I you know, paid off all those student loans and uh, can start living my dreams. Yeah. So I was talking about Chris recently because I remember being outside of like the, the place in Greenpoint and Chris was like, rub my elbows and told me I had the softest elbows ever. I was telling Catherine that the other day. Makes sense. <laughs> and she was like, she was like, what? I was like, yeah, I've just been heard. I had really soft elbows. And she's like, who said that? I was like, Chris. Yeah. yeah. Chris also <laughs> loved my elbows. He loves soft elbows. He just had a thing for soft elbows. Yeah. I guess the soft elbows are a very attractive thing. In New certain. York city, people just come up and touch you and they're like, Hey, she, yeah, she was like, why did he touch your elbow? I was like, I don't know. Because you had nice looking elbows. That's all it takes. <laughs> I had a man come up to me the other day. I was standing on the corner and he was like, can I tell you something? I was like, what? He's like, I don't know if you're straight or gay. He's like, but I want you to know you're the most beautiful man I've ever seen. I was like, thank you. I'm flattered. <laughs> I wasn't weirded out. I was just like, thank you. I'll take a compliment. Yeah, there was a guy. There was a guy who lived on Taffy near us who he made props for movies, like the dead body parts when things blow up. 
He's like, yo, like one day he came up to me. He's like, yo, you got the nicest arms. Can I make a mold of your arm to like put in movies? <laughs> I was like, yeah. You did I'll, that? I didn't end up doing it. He oh, never, okay. like we used to see, I used to see him walking the dog a lot. He had like a little, like a little foo-foo, like fluffy white thing. I don't even remember what kind of dog it was. <laughs> but and I would walk Duncan and he'd be like, yo, your arms are, can I, can I make a mold of your arm? I thought it was super weird at first. But then he told me like what he was doing. We'd see each other all the time. And he's like, yeah, like I make these, you know, like when you see dead bodies, like the body parts flying all around, he makes like, they, he made those molds. And like, like you said, like when you walk around New York City, people could come up to you and say the Same most, thing. the most random things. Yeah. And you're like, oh, awesome. Sure. I'm beautiful. <laughs> Thanks. I don't hear that every day, but hey, if you're going to tell me I'm flattered. Wonderful. Yeah. He was like, yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. So you're working retail and yeah. you've done a couple of different things. You worked for some bigger companies, some smaller companies. And, and most recently we were just talking the company that, that General had most recently worked for got hit pretty hard with COVID. They were paying close to a million dollars a month for folks who can fathom that for rent. And uh, they ended up having just to shut down their store yep. for, for the time being. So now COVID hits, uh, Gennaro's out of work and it kind of comes full circle because now he has more time to work on his art. So let's take us through like when you first get laid off for COVID and then until now, like what, feelings, emotions, different things that have been happening, and then what kind of sparked you to get back into doing art? Um, well, like, I, I mean, I think it's uh, important to, like, say I loved my job, and that's the thing. Like, I, I didn't go to school for retail. I, you know, most people, that's not really something you do, but I loved it. I loved getting up every day. I loved the schedule. You know, I loved, uh, you know, not having to go to work at the same time every day. I loved being able to, you know, drag tables around. It was my, it was my source of exercise. Like, you know, that's how I, I became, you know, strong enough. Like I may not look it, but I could pick up a 200 pound table and drag it across the department store. Like nobody's business. It's just what I do. Like, that's what I've always done. I might not be able to, you know, bench press, but I can, you know, lift tables and hang from scaffolding and, you know, carry a mannequin up a ladder. Like I know how to do that with the best of them. But, um. Uh, as soon as COVID hit and all of a sudden that wasn't there anymore and I didn't have that in my life, I realized how unhappy I was. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was getting up and going to work every day, I was happy. I loved my team. I loved my bosses. I loved my store. You know, I loved the work that I did. I loved being creative. I was a, vi I'm a, a visual manager. I was a visual manager for, you know, numerous different companies. So I love being creative. I loved, uh, you know, setting up the store. I love being able to take pictures of it and say, this is my work. This is my team's work. Can you describe what a visual manager is for folks who don't understand that? Um, in most cases, uh, your visual manager is the person that implements the brand guide. So the brand guide is the direction that comes from corporate that says, this is how your store is supposed to look because that's what the brand is presenting. Um, and if you go into one store in Utica and you go into a store in New York city, they should have the same, ideally vibe, the yeah. same vibe, the same feeling, you know, you should know where you have to go in the store to get what you're looking for. Um, so it was a lot of work. So I'm the first one to touch the clothes, um, or whatever product it is in this instance, it was, uh, you know, women's lingerie, um, and, uh, sweatsuits and I worked for Victoria's Secret. Um, I don't know if I mentioned that, but it was, uh, it's a very stressful job because there's so many opinions that go into it. It's not like you just come in and you say, I'm going to unpack these boxes and put these clothes on a shelf. It's how do I make this look and feel the way that the corporate direction, um, expects me to make it. 
And there's so many opinions that go into it, especially when you're working in a flagship store. And if you don't know what a flagship store is, that's usually your biggest, best store that makes the most money. So you always have to kind of have a unique feel there. And how do you take a picture of a tiny, a tiny store and implement it in a store that is, you know, 10 times the size, 10 times, 20 times, 30 times the size. I mean, we're talking where about thousands of visitors are coming every day. Every, and then, you know, day. depending on how those visitors come, they're rummaging through stuff, making it a mess. Yeah. And you got to kind of keep everything. Yeah. It organized and, and, and working. Yeah. And a lot, and, and a lot of the part of the job is, uh, as something sells out, how do you replace things to consistently make the store look full and to tell that story? So my job was all about, you know, implementing this vision and enticing people to come into the store, to shop, to, you know, uh, feel familiar with their small stores, whether they're in Utica or Kentucky or Hawaii, you know, all these like small stores, they come into this gigantic store. How do you make them not feel overwhelmed? How do you make them, you know, feel like this is a familiar experience? Um, and it's not an easy, it wasn't not an easy job. It's not an easy job. I think a lot of people give retail uh, kind of uh, a bad rap, but it is uh, extremely challenging. It's extremely difficult. It's extremely tiring. Um, and there's a lot of politics that go into it because at the end of the day, you're trying to impress you know, somebody that works in this giant office in New York City or yeah. Columbus, Ohio, and especially or Los like, Angeles. And like you're saying, you're working at their premier, like one of the most well uh, represented, visited, visually appealing or, or, or their stamp on like the world. Like in New York City, like a lot of stores, if you've never haven't experienced some stores in New York City or haven't just traveled through Manhattan. You ever notice how like the Nike store is this enormous experience. They have like a basketball court inside and Victoria's Secret is like four levels and Macy's is in this enormous experience. Like so all those are their, like that's how they want their brand to be expressed in its best, truest form. And it can be very, I can imagine it can be very stressful to kind of be on that stage, so to speak all the time and always be on and having to, always present because it's never those, those stores are, there's no downtime in those stores. Never. I mean, they're 24 hours a day. People work through the night to prepare for the morning. I can't tell you how many overnights um, and days off I lost over the course of the last 15, 16 years um, just to implement. That's all it is. Implement an experience. And I think that, you know, you mentioned that word and it's a very important word experience. My whole job was about creating the experience for someone who's never been in there. Yeah. So COVID hits, you, you lose your job or you get, laid off for that time being because nobody knew what was going to happen. Everyone was like, Oh, it's going to be two weeks and then it's two months and then it's 18 months. Yeah. Uh, so, and then you sit down for after a couple of weeks and you realize, wait, maybe I didn't like love my job as much as I thought I did, or maybe there's something more for me. And then that takes us kind of to now up and well, from then until now, and like, what have you been working on since? Um, well, I mean, yeah, like, COVID hit. It was a couple months where I was just like, cool, I'm going to kick my feet up, relax, take a deep breath, recharge my body. Like I was pretty beat up at that point. Um, I'm, I've been working consistently since I was 11 years old, never really taking any time off. Besides, Child labor. Yeah. Besides when I yeah, was <laughs> delivering newspapers five o'clock in the morning, at 11 years old, every single day, 365 days a year until I was 17. So, uh, the only time I had any time off is when I was in Denmark because I wasn't allowed to work because I was on a student visa. So, you know, this was the first opportunity that I really had time to like reflect on my life. And, and it's really, you know, what happened is I sat there and I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. Are they going to call me back? And then the whole time they're telling me, I'm going to call you back. I'm going to call you back. You know, everything's going to be fine. It's going to be a couple months. No worries. No worries. But I was thinking, I'm like, they're not going to call me back. 
They did call you back. They did call me back. Eventually. Eventually they called me back, you know. And, and But now you're in a different place. Yeah. They called me back and they had an HR manager on the phone and tell me that my furlough was turning into a layoff. Um, and like when that hit, I was almost like relieved. I was like, so, you know, I have an opportunity to change my life. Like I don't have to, you know, sit here and go on LinkedIn and on Indeed and all these places and search for more retail jobs. Like I can do whatever I want now. Like nothing's holding me back. It's not. And a lot of it was time and just the business. Like I just had things to do. Like I didn't want to give up on the projects that I had at work and I didn't want to give up on the people. And I loved it. And I loved them and I love the people and I, I care about them and I cared about my job and I cared about my portfolio that I was creating with the pictures of my visual merchandising work. But when, you know, once I had time to sit there and reflect on it, I was like, but was I happy? And I think that, you know, I mean, Anthony's known me for a long time and you know, he's even mentioned and you, know, you weren't, you're not, you don't look happy. You don't seem happy. You don't seem happy. And he'd been telling me that for years. And my other roommate that I, that we lived with Richard, uh, he told me the same thing. You're not happy. You're not happy. And I'm like, but I love my job. So what do you mean? I'm not happy. And I couldn't decipher the difference between being happy and, and being busy and being busy and, and actually enjoying. Cause I did enjoy what I did. I just wasn't happy doing it. And, and I think for, for a lot of listeners out there, I think we all get into this moment where we're doing something. And I think we talked, um, what's her name had a quote about it. Susan Niebergall. I keep bringing her back up, but she's like, the idea of change is so like catastrophic in our brains that we'd rather just be unhappy or be uncomfortable or be whatever than to make a change. Yeah. I think that, you know, that has a lot to do with it. And, you know, making sure that I collected that paycheck to pay, pay my student loans every month. That was a big factor in it. You know, if I kept getting promoted, then it would be more money in my pocket. And it just became this chain reaction of, I got to pay off these loans. And as long as I can convince myself that I enjoy getting up and going to work every day, um, and I'm there to help other people grow and this and that. I mean, I did more for other people than I did for myself. Like yeah. there's so many people that I've worked with that, you know, turn around and thank me because of me and the way that I, you know, assessed every day and assessed every project that now they're out there, you know, striving for their dreams. And I'm like, well, all these people that I sit there and encourage their, I'm encouraging them to follow their dreams and they are, I'm like, and I'm not doing it myself. So once COVID hit, I was like, it's, it's time. I, I got to figure something out. So, you know, I'm at a point now where, um, <clears throat> I'm getting back into my art. So, um, I've been doing a lot of illustrations. I've been working with a photographer to, uh, put illustrations on top of, or photography. Um, I've been working on just full illustrations for myself. I've been painting. Um, I'm, I got a meeting in a couple of weeks with, uh, my friend who has a factory. He's, he's a Pakistani kid. He, uh, has a factory. He has, um, uh, access to a factory in Pakistan where they're making t-shirts and stuff like that. So he wants to, to get in on uh, distributing, you know, basics and tees and coming up with a t-shirt line. And then one of the kids that I used to work with, at uh, Victoria's Secret, he's really interested in uh, starting up a clothing line. So it just seems like all the things that I worked hard for are just kind of falling into place. And it's the beginning part of it. But, you know, in my mind, I'm still young. So I'm just going to keep trucking. For sure. And you are, you know, I think we're, you're 38 already, right? Yeah, I'm 38. Yeah. So he's like a 10 months ahead of me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, still super young. I mean, I think that's where we all get caught up in everything where I did the same thing. You know, I went to New York City. My whole 20s was just a blur of work. You know, you wake up at 6am, go to work, I go to the gym, go teach phys ed, go coach football, get home at seven, eight o'clock at night, eat dinner, repeat, repeat for seven years, 10 years, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, at a certain point, either we continue down that path and then 
we're 55 and we retire and we realize we'd missed a whole bunch of shit. Or we have this thing, this catalyst, right? This thing, COVID, for, it happened for many people because I have other friends who, you know, we're going to probably bring Tina on, who is one of my other good friends who I visited in Brooklyn. She used to be a food stylist for the Today Show. And same, similar thing happened. She got furloughed and then now she's doing her own thing. Like on her Instagram, she's like doing almost like food network type stuff. And she's been getting these little side jobs here and there, but doing her own thing. And it's given her the freedom, just like you're saying, got the freedom now and the time and not feeling restricted by maybe a nine to five or, you know, whatever you want to classify your job. Because it's not nine to five, but, you know, similar concept that it doesn't restrict you or hold you down or these paychecks you just, we talked about off air that you just, you've kind of finished paying your student loans and you don't have these things hanging over your heads where like, Hey, I need to make money. Like I need to make a lot of money right now so I could pay these bills. And now when you don't have those things over and you have a little bit more financial freedom, it gives you that opportunity to maybe do some of the things that you are putting off for so long that you are really passionate about. I 100% agree with everything you just said. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, there's, there's really no other way to say it. You know, like I, I was trapped, I guess you could say in this lifestyle that I didn't know that I didn't want to be in until 16 years later when I was forced to not be in it. And now I have this opportunity where I can do whatever I want. So I think the hardest part that I've been going through now is one, I'm not hundred percent sure what to do with everything. So I'm just kind of trying to put my fingers in a bunch of different pots and I'm like, I'm learning things from scratch, like, you know, Photoshop and how to clean up my illustrations and how to turn those into prints and making networks and, you know, trying to get into art shows. So I've showed in three art shows, I've made a little money and handed out my business card. I've got a whole bunch of new followers on Instagram that keep asking me when there's new stuff coming. I'm like, as soon as I, you know, as soon as I can finish it. One of the things that Gennaro, maybe to his detriment, he does really great work. Like probably one of the best artists I've ever seen. I've always told him that he was always, we were in art school, uh, art school, art classes together throughout high school. I'm very much like I can copy and mimic whatever I see. Gennaro has the creative, like free flowing, like he can make anything happen. And I, I've always like kind of envied that as an artist because I can never, like Nelly asked me to draw a dog the other day. And I was like, I, I don't even know what a dog looks like. Like in my brain, I can't put it on paper, but if I see a picture of a dog, I draw a I could draw up. Exactly. exactly. You know what I mean? So like Gennaro is always able to like, he'd be like, Oh, I'm making a, a cartoon gorilla hanging on the tree and doing this sort of thing. And like, we were just talking before how he has like these character animation type things that are like awesome and just free flowing off. You know, he might look at a picture of a, like what a turtle might look like. He'll look at it on his phone quick and be like, Oh, okay, I got it. And then he'll just figure it out, figure it out as he goes. And it's a, a very, uh, very, um, admirable trait for an artist. And, but the other part of it is that he spends so much time on his work. That's my biggest downfall. So as you know, in our society, especially in terms of art, graphic design, all that sort of stuff, the people who are being like really, really, I don't know, you know, depending on how you deem success, right. Who are putting out the people who are putting out the most work like right now in terms of social media, art, music, even movies like Netflix, if you don't know, puts out a brand new movie every Friday. That's 52 new movies a year. You know what I mean? So that's like wild to think about. So it's the, the ga- name of the game right now is quantity. And to reference Gary Vaynerchuk again, he talks about let the consumer decide if it's good or not. Yeah. So don't be like, cause you, cause it might be good or it might be bad to you, but like 
it's the person who's viewing it who who deems that to be whether or not it's good or not. If they like want to buy it, then they think it's good. Yeah, you know. And I think the the I, I was just listening to an, a, a a book earlier with Seth Godin. Seth Godin's a, like the master marketer, and he was talking about the best in the world doesn't really mean the best in the world. It means the best in their world at that particular time. So like if I think it's really, really good and I want to buy it, I want to give you a thousand dollars for a painting. That's the best painting in the world to me right now. And that's all that matters yeah. because all you need is one person to buy it and, or, you know, however you want to look at that. And he was talking about like, Hey, yes, the, a physical therapist in Arizona might be the best physical therapist in the world, but he doesn't take your insurance and he lives in Arizona and you live in Utica, New York. So you got to find the best physical therapist in the world for you. Yeah. And that's somebody who's right in front of you who takes your insurance. You know, so these are all these different factors. When we think about being best in the world or being the best at whatever we do, there's these other factors that kind of go into that. And I think for you is to not overly focus on like if it's good or not to you. Yes, there has to be some sort of level of uh, like quality control, I guess. But at a certain point, you just got to what, what Seth would say is just ship your work. Just put it out there and let people decide. Yeah. You know what I mean? And people will decide whether they like it or not with likes or money or however they, they deem it to be, you know, good or not. Yeah. I think like where I am at right now for me to create quantity, I'm focusing on the quality. Yeah. Um, because what I do see out there, like when I'm on Instagram and when I'm searching the internet for stuff, a lot of these artists, you know, it's just, um, reproduced stuff. Like it's just very generic you know, right. one after another, they're pumping out something every day. And when, you know, you're watching these videos and they're using procreate and, you know, Photoshop and all these drawing programs, it just comes off very generic um, where I really like to work, you know, in hand. And then I'll scan my images into the computer. So it still upholds all that integrity of every single line and stuff like that. So right now, before I can create quantity, I'm like really focusing on my, on my quality so that I can, come with come figure out what direction I want to go in. Um, for and, sure. You got to yeah. still, you're still feel Cause this is still, even though you've been doing this for a long time and like, like we talked about before, like at night coming home from a stressful day, maybe giving a little, uh, little substance assistance and then sitting down and drawing a little bit. And that was kind of like your relaxation, your whatever, but it was a hobby. It was a hobby. And now it's turning from a hobby to being a little bit more of your main thing. And then, with that comes the idea of like what type of artist you want to be. Yeah. Right. So you're still trying to figure out, it's not just a hobby and I'm just like doing this, like, yeah, I'm hanging out, relaxing. It's pretty cool, I guess. But nobody might, other than my roommates who are sitting here watching me do this while we're watching wrestling, yeah. <laughs> nobody else might ever see this. There was no Instagram at that time. Yeah. No know? Instagram really. None of that kind of stuff. Yeah, out Facebook there. wasn't what it was. You know, like yeah. you just, if, if you weren't out there sitting on a corner by central park or something and, and trying to show people it, or, you know, trying to get a freelance job or going to an art fair, like no one was seeing it. And now, like we have this opportunity to put it out there and everything is so oversaturated that it's like, well, how do I find that group? How do I find that group of people that are going to keep encouraging me to, you know, make new stuff because they just like seeing it. And I think that's, what's important is not, it does not everybody that has to see it. It just has to be the people who, you know, keep wanting to see it. Yeah. The people, you're from you're, there it grows. Yeah. Your tribe. Yeah. Like the people who, like your style of art and the people who will, like I said, will value it, will enjoy it and just see the creative process that's, that goes involved. And I think that's a, a cool thing to think about too. One thing that people really do enjoy is seeing some of the process behind things. And I know Tori does this a lot with her own Instagram. Like she'll show how to do this. She used to do anyway. She hasn't done it in a while. 
she'll show people how to do certain things, which I think is pretty cool. Not necessarily how, like all the, the nuts and bolts that go behind it, but a little snippets and snapshots of like you doing the work. And I think that's really cool for people to see because then they're like, oh, this is, this stuff takes time. And, and then they start value, maybe even valuing it more because they see that how much work and how much time and energy and commitment you have to providing something that has quality versus like the quantity where I'm just like, I'm just throwing things against the wall and it, some of it might be good, some of it, but it's, it feels pretty generic. Uh, the, the most likes I've gotten on um, anything that I've done was a video of the, the company that I, I'm, you know, making art for currently. Um, just she, the lady that I, that I, that I'm working with, she just made a, like a quick reel of me framing my work and it got like 1500 views in a matter of moments. And, you know, I might, I'm not going to get that on one of my drawings, but like people were just like, Oh my God, I love watching, you know, all this stuff and things getting put together. And like, that was all the comments was like, Oh, that's so cool that, yeah. you know, this is how you do. I was like, I'm just putting something in a frame. Yeah. And even like the one where you were cutting stuff, you put a picture of it, but if you had your phone over and then like, uh, what's it, when you make it fast, what's it called? Dan, what you're talking about. When you make it really fast. Time, time lapse. Time lapse. Time lapse. When you time lapse, if you're cutting out like your things, mm -hmm. like people would eat that stuff up. Yeah. Well, I got a, I got a tripod now and I got a thing to hold a, uh, my phone or a camera and stuff. So, you know, that's kind of the next thing on the list is how do I just start putting all these little pieces together and, uh, you know, creating a lifestyle of it. It's, you know, not necessarily just, this is my work. Like I, I want to present promote myself because I'm For not, sure. I'm not just a, a one trick pony. You know, it's not just drawing. Like I design clothes. I, you know, I frame things. I get out there and, you know, build stuff. I'm out there commun communicating and putting on shows with other artists. So, you know, there's a, there's a whole bunch of facets that I'm, uh, you know, trying to figure out. Um, but you know, it's gotta start somewhere. For sure. For sure. And, and what's next? For Gennaro, do you have like, do you just call yourself Gennaro Olivella? I think it's just Gennaro Olivella on Instagram, right? Uh, yeah, my Instagram is just uh, Gennaro Olivella. And, and Gennaro is spelled differently than you may Yes, think. yes. Do you want to spell it for him? Uh, G-E-N-E-R-O. <laughs> <laughs> -E yeah, so um, a lot of people would be like, it's Gennaro, it's this, that, and the other thing. It's spelled, Gennaro and I are both in the camp that our names have been spelled incorrectly our entire lives. My yes. last name, his first name. So together we are, we're Voltron, Tori. You're going to add me to the list, too. <laughs> Nobody gets my, either of my names. Rizuchi? Or my Tori. first name. What do they do with Tori? Why? Why? I've had R-R-E-Y Is before. your name Victoria? Heck no. <laughs> mm -mm. Just Tori. I saw Tori. it on the birth certificate. Yes. Oh, they always put an R in my last name, and there's no R in my last Ol name. Oliveira? I always get Oliveira. I'm like, no, there's, <laughs> it's actually two L's, not an R. Yeah, uh, General's still pretty new to Instagram, but the, he just did like a... Actually, this one's pretty good. You did kind of like the yeah the steps to, to Yogi Bear. Yeah, I'm and, uh, doing a whole series of Hanna Barbera um, cartoons for myself. I've, I this feel one's like I've, insane. I feel like Which I've, one? thank you. That's Al, Al the Cardinal. He keeps popping. So you're up mixing it with this is like mixed with a photograph, yep. right? Yeah, that's what I was saying. He, so he cuts these out by hand with like a little razor, an exacto knife. Yeah, and then glues them to these photos. I actually the the process is I create stickers so that I'm not messing around with glue on the photo. So I'm actually using. So these this. are custom handmade. So. So this was my question for you. So then this is the one of a kind sticker. Yes. Or, so that sticker doesn't exist anywhere else nope, and it never will. Um, I may do sticker packages. Um, but so that particular line. drawing, let's say if that, of that, I don't even know what that is. One eyed yeah. squid snake thingy. Yeah. So it's, just, it's a slurm. It's a slime worm. It's, it's a slurm. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, here to, they're here to invade. So it's a slurm. And, but that exact image like, it's, does that exist it. anywhere? Like, that you can reproduce that? Yes. I, well, I have prints. 
Oh, you have prints of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So all of my stuff, um, I I scan into the computer, clean them up, um, and then re-put them onto the photo. So I don't scan it with the photo. I scan everything before I start, you know, creating stickers and gluing things down. And then I go through and Photoshop, clean up everything, make sure it's precise. And then I create dim- digital images of them placed onto the um, actual JPEG of the photo. And then I work with a print a printer in Park Slope, Brooklyn, um, where uh, I sit down with him and he prints everything out. Wonder- wonderful guy. Um, I can't remember his name. Scott Cross, Steve Cross, uh, Brooklyn Editions. Um, Museum art printing. So, so. Where, where do you come up with something like a slurm? Um, it was, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I can't. A lot of the things, I don't know where I come up with them. I just sit down. I start drawing. I start, I just stare at things for hours. And like, I can't tell you how long I stared at that, at that picture of uh, the Manhattan bridge in downtown Brooklyn there. And just, um, try to come didn't up know with what, yeah, how many pieces of paper I, you know, uh, scribbled on and threw away. And then I just kind of fell upon this and, I liked it. That was the first one. And then I decided that I was going to, you know, do that on the next one. And then the next one. And that was your first like photo illustration combination. Yep. So that was the first time that I kind of used all these invasion creatures, um, for this. And it was a series that originally was called photo bombed because my characters were photo bombing her photos for sure. Um, and I just kind of ran with it. I don't know. No, that's cool. I mean, I think I stuck with it. I enjoy drawing it. It's been fun. Um, I have a bunch of new stuff that I, I, that's not on there currently. Um, that as soon as I go back to New York, I'll start working on cleaning up those images and turning them into JPEGs. Yeah. Tori's I'm I'm sure Tori's got some cool pictures and she probably has some good, her her brain is going a little bit right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's next for me is a comic strip. Um, hopefully we're going to be working on a comic strip for myself. Um, and then, working on this clothing line with my friend Jermaine Peters and keep putting my work into art shows and hopefully, you know, just gain, garner some attention. And, you know, I kind of want to, I don't want to go back and get a job that's going to be so demanding. I kind of want to find something that's going to pay the bills so that I can have time to focus on this stuff because I'm just afraid, honestly. And, you know, I'll be completely transparent and, 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 and candid about it and, and say, like, you know, I'm scared. I'm scared to go and get a job that's going to demand my attention 50, 60 hours a week like I was doing because I'm afraid that I won't be able to do this. Yeah. And I'll just give up on it like I did from the get-go. And that's a very valid thing. And I think that's what <clears throat> one of the things that we try to express the most on the podcast is being able to live your best life. And whatever that looks like for you, and everybody's a little bit different, but for you, it's not working 40, 50, 60 hours in retail right now in your life because you have this passion and this fire that was inside for a very long time, but it was very dim. And now all of a sudden you, you let it breathe a little bit and you're like, Oh, this feels really good. And you know, we want to be able to keep that fire breathing and getting oxygen and not suffocate it with another excessive, like nine to five type job experience. That's going to bring this back down to just a hobby and a dim lit candle deep kind of within your soul. Yeah. Just for what a paycheck. Yeah. So now I have my, my student loans paid off. Like I, I don't, need to make an excess amount of money. I can, you know, make sure the bills are getting paid and start working towards my own brand, my own designs, my own, you know, uh, path instead of someone else's path, someone else's path. If I'm going to kill myself 40, 50, 60 hours a week, it's not going to be able, it's not going to be to have some CEO to live in a mansion. It's going to be, it's going to be to put money in my pocket and, you know, kind of start my own path of me becoming a CEO of my own brand and hopefully help other artists kind of achieve their dreams and kind of gear them and guide them into the right direction and 
it's all about just not giving up. And I think that I never gave up for the past 20 years. I never gave up. I just got lost and now I've refound what I'm passionate about and I can focus on that. And I'm very excited to see what happens next. Cause I'm not sure what that is. Yeah. And I think that's a great way to, to end us off here. I, I kind of roped Gennaro into this. He came here to, to he texted me, said he was going to come and do some working out that his knees and back were feeling a little achy and Tori and I were sitting down getting ready. He walked in. I'm like, Hey, we're doing the podcast. And he's like, no, I'm not going to talk. And I thought he did a fantastic job. I'm glad I did. I'm glad you wrote me into this. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's actually quite quirky and funny, but he kind of was very, very serious and in, in, in his zone right now talking about his, his jam. But, um, if you have a chance, definitely go follow him. There's not a lot on there, but this is going to be our push to help him keep chasing his dream and find his prime Thank through you. his art and just keep rocking and rolling, keep plugging. All right. Thanks again for hanging out and we'll see you next time. Thank you for having me. It's been very enjoyable. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for hanging out with us for another episode of the prime podcast where we do our best to help you find your prime. As always, we'd love some feedback, some comments, some reviews to help us keep making these podcasts to give you the best information we can. If you want to come check us out on social media, I am at A Mercurio, M-U-C-U-R-I-O. Tori at Tori Rizucci. We all have the hardest last names to spell, by the way. R-I-S-U-C-C-I. And at Gennaro Alavella. All these will be in the show notes to take a look at. But again, we thank you for hanging out. Until next time, help you find your... Whoa. Said I'm at my prime.